Guru Nation, welcome to episode 485 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This was a very fun live stream. I went live with Brad Hightower from Hightower Clinical in Oklahoma City. And we just had a good time. We, we, I've interviewed Brad before. Uh, I consider him uh, to be one of the thought leaders in our space from a site perspective. He has his own podcast note to file podcast and i've gotten to know brad uh, here and there over the years and it's a very good guy to get to know on linkedin very knowledgeable started from uh, ground zero with his own research site and is now a uh, fairly successful site owner and up and coming um, rising star in this space and so we answer viewer questions listener questions we also discuss some big topic ideas such as patient centricity, why I think CROs are stifling innovation, and how to network on LinkedIn, and different kind of things like that. So hopefully you find some value here. Uh, Links in the show notes are the CRA Academy, the CRC Academy, the Patreon channel of which Brad is a member. It's only five bucks a month with a monthly mastermind. Uh, and also, if you need help getting studies for your site, text me 949-415-6256. With all that being said, enjoy the show and let me know what you think. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. I've, we are going, we have gone live now with uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, not Instagram, because I'm interviewing someone. How could I possibly go live um, and you would only hear me, you know? Uh, so Instagram, I go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Monday, Wednesday, Friday also, but it could be just like a random Thursday, like today. Why? Because Brad Hightower has been killing it, okay, in the podcast space. And Brad Hightower, for those that don't know, Brad, uh, why don't you give us like an introduction or a brief like bio of who you are, and then I could get some more bites in of my lunch. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I started out in clinical research uh, about 12 years ago at a university level. Uh, kind of struggled my way through learning how to do it, as many people do. Uh, the story I hear over and over again, you know, people kind of fall into clinical research by accident, struggle their way through it till they either figure it out or decide they hate it and move on. I stuck it out, uh, became a director of research at a large heart hospital in Oklahoma City. Uh, it was okay. It just seemed everywhere I went, nobody was doing doing it quite right. There's a lot of lack of efficiency, a lot of crazy over-institutionalized institu- processes. Uh, so about three years ago, I broke out on my own, started a, I guess what I'd call, you know, a, sort of an integrated site network. I don't know what, I call it something different every time, I feel like. I'm still trying to, to land on the best best label for what it is but integrated site networks good you can that's actually a good a good challenge for anybody in the industry who wants to uh create a company especially a site or a network of sites is to just come up with like your own acronym because everyone's doing it i mean this is how smos (laughs) get started and brad if your companies like start getting super successful everybody's gonna call themselves you know integrated site network too so you might be a pioneer (laughs) in this you might be a pioneer. Uh, I think the more acronyms you have, the better you are, obviously. So, <laughs> no, so that's that's kind of where we are today. I'm working primarily uh, 
in a large part with a local hospital, a uh, big hospital system. So it's been great. We're expanding into all the different therapeutic areas there. Uh, we've also got a standalone site where we're working with some independent interventional cardiologists, uh, family practice, dermatology. So, uh, you know, we've had to pivot a lot throughout the, you know, last two or three years, but I think we're getting to a very, very interesting place now where we're seeing a lot of growth, uh, especially within, again, within a large hospital group. Uh, that's really kind of changed the game for what we've been mm. doing. What is it like working with the hospital group? I, I would imagine, I mean, you know, from an outside perspective, everyone's like, oh, you're lucky, you know, you're surrounded by doctors and patients, but what is it really like? Well, frankly, when I started doing this, I never intended to work with another hospital system. I didn't want to because, you know, you've got a lot of uh, overpaid administrators who don't understand clinical research and how it works. Instead, they want to try to impede you every step of, step of the way. Uh, you've got to coordinate with a bunch of departments who don't really have any buy-in with what's going on. It's just, again, you sort of, it breeds inefficiency in a lot of ways uh, in clinical research. So, I've been very lucky that the group actually realized the value and they actually hired an internal director uh, within their system. So I'm able to work with him as sort of a conduit. He's sort of an internal conduit and we're the external side. So it actually makes my job super easy. So, uh, you know, it took about a year and a half, I think, until, again, they really kind of saw the value uh, and in a little bit all the best was one person to help kind of grease the wheels from the inside and lets us do our jobs on the outside we work together seamlessly so as much as i was skeptical that it was going to work out it's actually been pretty amazing so i'm i'm a uh, pretty happy about that but i think that's sort of a <laughs> you know lightning in the bottle rare more rare outcome i mean i hope not i hope that's something i can scale over time but it's a uh, mm -hmm. it's worked out really well and you're you're based out of Oklahoma City for those that uh, uh, are new to your brand. Everybody, go follow Brad. And by the way, if you're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, put your comments in. And we got Christine. Christine, we we're just talking about you off camera. Uh, we're both huge fans of Christine Naro. We actually believe Christine Naro should host her own podcast. Um, but she's big on Clubhouse. She's the Clubhouse queen. Mari Mayorga, another longtime favorite of, of ours and a Latino. Oh, and Christine, I got to say, Christine's a Latinos in Clinical Research brand ambassador. So shout out to Christine. Mari Mayorga, how's it going? One of the smartest and nicest people that I know on social media. Uh, so you guys, if you have questions for Brad or myself, let me know. Uh, Brad, uh, being in Oklahoma City probably has its advantages in the sense that there's not much competition. Has that changed since our last podcast? No, no, there's still really no competition. Um, it, it's a, you know, a low standard of living in Oklahoma city. So the budgets, I think the budgets go a lot further, yeah, uh, they do. you know, so, <laughs> uh, you know, a budget here versus a budget in New York city is going to be, if, you know, if they're the same, it's still, that's a lot more money here than it is somewhere else in so that's, Orange that's County. a big advantage right? what about <laughs> yeah, Newport sure. what about Newport Beach California Brad you know our yeah. rents are high out here <laughs> yeah uh, I lived uh, I lived in Seattle for a little while and I don't ever want to 
pay anything close to what I paid to live out there. So no, I'm happy yeah. to be away from the, the coast in that way, in that regard. You know, I've envied the clients and just people I've networked with like yourself who have been in, let's just say underserved areas because Oklahoma city is not a small city. I mean, it's a big city, but it's underserved and there's not much competition. And so I finally get to join the club in July, hopefully. Knock on wood, my house is built by July, or otherwise it's going to be later. But I go to the small place in Arizona called Yuma, Arizona. Nice. For those that know, it's on the border of California, Arizona, and Mexico. Um, So it'll be interesting. You know, I'm going there with the – I have a plan in mind. I want to sell. I'm building that site to sell it, specifically to sell it, because I plan to come back to California within five years. Uh, so I've never done that before. I've never actually. Um, so I, I get to join you now. Basically, I've been so used to Southern California applying for studies and then getting rejected because there's so many other sites that are doing the study here. right? And we're small, so we're not like ever a preferred site. We've been a preferred site maybe for a handful of sponsors. Sure. Um, we've still been able to do fairly well, but man, you know. I know the power. I see the power of being in an underserved area with our clients. Like we have clients in Iowa, Idaho, Arkansas, like middle of the country, flyover states uh, that just get every study we apply them for. Which yeah, is, I mean, uh, that, that is I'm jelly. I'm jelly. I'm jelly, Brad. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're we're able to pull from basically the whole state, you know, not that that's. I mean, I think that there's probably more people in L.A. than there are in the whole state of Oklahoma, if I had to guess, you know, there's. I think we're at like four million somewhere like that. Uh, but we can. Pull but how do you pull from the, from whole, the state? whole state? Like you send an Uber to the one corner of the state for the office? Heck yeah, that's exactly what we do. Yeah, so we work with a, a local like medical transport company, and we get the sponsor to pay for it. If they want patients in the studies, you know, we're gonna drive Wait, them in. So you can drive like from one corner of Oklahoma to the other. It's gotta be a long drive. It is. I mean, it is. We aren't getting people from like literally the panhandle but I mean, okay, we have people okay. who, will, who will come from a you know a two or three hour trip for wow, some of the studies no that kidding. we're doing no kidding that's yeah, a, again, that's something that's different that is unique to those kind of areas and that you don't see that here in la or orange county or southern california in general you just don't see that yeah well i mean there's there's just more stuff <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to drive that far to to get what you need but like you know, we're doing a post-amputation pain study. It's a device trial. Uh, there's not a whole lot of sites in the country, but we're bringing in patients from Kansas and Arkansas and, you know, again, driving, driving wow. them. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. been an amazing I, study. That would make sense that the sponsors will. I mean, those are, like, unique patients. You don't just get them, like, you know, everywhere. I mean, that's uh, they're, they'd be willing to pay for uh, – I've actually worked on a study. It was a um, – uh, spinal surgery study and the sponsor was willing to fly patients in from different parts of the country even to our site yeah. here in LA yeah, so uh, yeah I guess for the right study sponsors willing to do anything this actually Brad this leads me to a very uh, interesting uh, segue that we can talk about and which is and by the way guys put your comments questions concerns brad and i are gonna go for how much time you have brad uh i got about i got about 45 minutes oh, okay perfect perfect so get your questions going guys but this i was doing the site owner academy and we have a new site owner and he was asking well hey dan you know i've got a research naive pi 
and uh, I'm not sure how to approach uh, sponsors. I don't know how to get the first study. And I said, look, what you've got to do, you've got to eat your veggies. I'm going to be like your mom and tell you you got to eat your veggies. And what I mean by that is you got to go on clinicaltrials.gov every day, every day, and at least five contacts you got to email. And I listened to your podcast with one of our Patreon members. Whenever you have one of our Patreon members, I listen. I especially listen. Brad's podcast is really good, by the way. Note to file podcast. Go listen. It's an amazing podcast, Brad. You, I can't wait to hear more episodes. I listened to the one with Estefanie uh, Jabour from Florida. Uh-huh. And you said this, too. You're like, you know what? At the beginning, it's just a lot of grunt work. Me- uh, messaging people on clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, to me, that's the equivalent of like eating your veggies if you want to lose weight. Uh, we all would rather eat a uh, fast break Reese's Pieces candy bar, <laughs> but that's not going to do you any good, right? You got to eat your veggies if you want to lose weight. So the same thing, if you're starting out and you have a, have a new site and a research naive PI, the sponsors are not coming to you. Now, here's your strength. This is where people go wrong, and job seekers are no different. Everybody thinks about themselves first. Like, oh, well, how can I pitch my email to where I look good? Or something like about them. I tell them that's nonsense. It's irrelevant. Sponsors could care less. And then you you inevitably get this email pitch that says, hey, my PI is very interested in condition xyz because he's written article they just go on a tangent this is nonsense the sponsor could care less what you're interested in right. what they want especially in 2021 is what they want diverse patient population in their studies so minorities they want patients that are research naive they don't want patients jumping around from study to study and they want retention retention Okay, Brad and I both do our own due diligence on biotechs, or at least Brad used to. You're busy now. I do it for my YouTube. I do due diligence, okay? I only buy meme stocks now. Meme stocks are bad. Who needs due diligence? You just buy (laughs) GameStop. Um, So during due diligence, a lot of times you'll see FDA doesn't approve a a drug because they don't have enough long-term data from that study. Why? Because of retention. This happens a lot, guys. And the sponsor has to come back and spend a couple million more, eight figures more, to do an, another study, which is a complete waste of time for them because they already know the drug works. They just need to check the boxes that it works, that it's safe long term, which everybody knows, but the FDA says, no, we insist on this. So put yourself in the sponsor's shoe. They don't care that you're interested. They don't care. They could care less. I know it sounds bad, but they could care less what you're interested in. They care... Minority population, diversity, uh, patients that will stay in your study, and the fact that the patients trust you, the site, the PI. Right. What is your thoughts on this, Brad? No, I mean, I'm with you. I think you, I mean, first, to go back to the beginning, I mean, when you're starting out, you just have to work your ass off. You got to grind and grind and grind and grind. And when you think that you've done enough, do 10 more. So <laughs> that's That's really... It's not a secret. It's just you got to do that. Um, so, yeah, hustle on clinicaltrials.gov. Expect to be told no 90 times, and maybe you'll get yes once. 
And then, you know, for the second part, yeah, I mean, sell your strengths. Don't worry about your weaknesses. You know, I've, I've not really ever had a huge problem getting research naive physicians trials in my experience. Now they haven't gotten every trial, but I mean, there are registries what, out your... there to get people started. There are, you know, other, you know, other strategies you can take, but I mean, if you can sell your strong points, uh, or if you've got the experience as the coordinator, whatever makes you, you know, stand out considering you don't have, you know, re, uh, experience from your PI. Get a yeah. sub-I that does. What, so what's your, like, how do you handle that objection when sponsors tell you, well, you, does your PI have to have experience in research? You know, how do you handle that when your PI doesn't? Well, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a matter of saying, look, you know, uh, we've assembled a research team that's got all this experience. We're certified coordinators. Uh, you know, a lot of times we've worked within that particular therapeutic area. Um, we've got a patient population that matches. We know what we're doing. We can negotiate a budget in two weeks. We can do all these things. Again, sell your strong points because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a lot of the great places that have a ton of experience, again, a large institution, you might be, you can, you might be able to get in started and enrolled before they can even get their study approved by their local IRB. That's you know right. what I'm saying? That's so right. play, play to the, the strengths that you have. You have strengths. If you're small, a speedboat can go 180 degrees on a dime. The Titanic is going to take three hours to turn around, make a U-turn. Right. Yeah. But and I mean, that's, you know, that's I've, when they're not sinking. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I really think it's not rocket science. Like I've, I've been awarded a study when I did an SSV and all I had in the room was me and a refrigerator. We were just <laughs> setting up the site. There was literally a chair for me, a chair for the monitor and a locked refrigerator in the room. And, you know, I said to go back on my experience to say, look, I know what needs to be done. I've done this hundreds of times before. Here's what we're going to do. And instill that confidence in the, the sponsor that you're trying to work with. You got to sell yourself a little bit. Everything in research, it's selling yourself. And, you know, to bring this back to the job seekers out there, it's the same thing. It's the same principle. It's like put yourself. I know it's like goes against like your intuition because we're all considering our own, you know, our own needs first, which we should. I mean, you know, you have to. Uh, be focused on how you're going to make a living and things like that. But you've, you've have to have some empathy for the other stakeholder. And if you're a job seeker and you've interviewed coordinators, I mean, you can just tell the ones that get it, think of you, right? I mean, they can think of themselves too, but they at least consider what you need as well. And they've done maybe their research beforehand to kind of know, okay, well, I see that you're doing surgery studies and or anything that shows interest in you and not just them is a good sign to me. Right. And, and you know what? Interestingly enough, when you take that mentality, it's just like public speaking. I used to be terrified of public speaking. Because why? Because I was thinking about me. Oh, how I'm going to look. What if I say something bad? What if I stutter? People are going to think I'm dumb. People could care less, all right? People, right. you're there to give them some value. Once you put yourself in their shoes, what do these people need? It makes it so much easier because you're just now a conduit of information. You're not, like, trying to be something special, right? You're just right. there to help them. So right. same like thing you when said. you're seeking studies, seeking a job, same principle.
yeah, the little things you care about, they don't care about at all. So you just gotta, <laughs> no. yeah, you just gotta put it out there. They could care less if I stammer or if I clear my throat. They don't care about this stuff. Right. Just like a sponsor right. could care less that your PI is interested from an academic perspective uh, or a philosophical perspective in <laughs> right. like an indication. Sure. Who cares? They already have their key opinion leaders. That's not going right. to be you, at least right now, maybe later, but not right now. So they care about what can you do for them. Janet Jackson said it best, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Speedboat, small sites, diamonds. Be uh, Neha says, I agree. That's that's right, Neha. What do you think, uh, Neha, all these comments from LinkedIn. LinkedIn's been an interesting place in 2021 for uh, clinical research and in 2020. What do you think about LinkedIn? Um, your thoughts on the content, the stuff you're seeing? The good and the bad. I don't know if you get like the spammy emails. What do you What do you think? What are your thoughts on LinkedIn? So, I mean, frankly, for me, I don't use a lot of social media other than LinkedIn, and it's just because it's you know professionally, uh, I prefer to keep my social media professional use. I don't do anything personal really. So, I mean, honestly, it's been you know pretty much the sole source of a lot of information for me. I mean, it's. I think it's good seeing more people start to create content. We talked a little bit about before people creating good and valuable content for the clinical research space. Mm -hmm. I think it's still too heavily dominated by the pharma side. Like everything I see seems to be these pharma guys talking, you know, about trials and, you know, <laughs> obviously they have a huge role in things, but mm -hmm. being able to see more of that on a site level, I think would be, uh, you know, valuable you know somebody had posted a comment recently about how you know it's real top down in clinical research like the sponsor I says what that. to do and everybody does it and i was like well shit that's right but it doesn't have to be you know like we have the ability to some degree to to go bottom up but i think that's part of it is having more of these conversations amongst you know sort of the site level uh level people out there mm-hmm I agree with you. I think I saw that top down. I wanted a comment, but I just didn't because I, and then I saw your comment. So bottom line is the sponsors are paying for the study. It's again, back to what we talked about. Like who, what do they want? They don't care. Do you think a sponsor care that, uh, you know, you're, you want to run a bottom up culture in your site? They care less. Right. Brad. Right. <laughs> they don't care about that but it opens up a can of worms and i kind of did i want to do um i kind of mentioned this in my live stream yesterday and i think there's a lot to unpack again it's just opinion i don't care if it pisses people off but and it's related very much so to what we what you and i brad discussed after our after i was on your podcast last year when we went off camera it's probably better than the stuff that was on the camera <laughs> right. but was, but a lot of it were these kind of themes like hey this is all dominated right now by think tanks basically think tank type of people and uh you know they throw out things like patient centricity and top down bottom up stuff like what what is what is the practical value of that you know what i came to the conclusion recently and it's just my opinion i could be wrong I think the CROs have gotten too big, and I think they're the ones that are stifling innovation 
Because I don't see it from the sponsor. The sponsors are more open to doing things differently. You know, uh, CROs, and it's only getting worse. Look what yesterday Icon just bought PRA. Yeah, I saw that. The big just gonna get bigger. Like right. And I've I've heard from sites and I've personally experienced it where the CRO tells me no because I want to do something maybe from bottom up. I didn't even realize that's what I'm trying to do, but that's what I'm trying to do. And the CRO says no. The CR and the CRO even blames the sponsor. Okay. And then right. when you talk to the sponsor about it, they say, What? What are you talking about? That's not a bad idea. Right. Uh, so there's something there, man, with the CROs well, are getting too big, and I've heard it from many a sponsor already, small sponsors. So that's, a, that's, I mean, brilliant. I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I mean, all these conversations, like you said, about, uh, you know, patient centricity, decentralized trials. Well, the guys talking about it are the guys writing the checks. If they want it to be done, <laughs> it would be done, right? Mm-hmm. They've got more resources than anybody. They've got more skin in the game than anybody so why are we talking about it and why isn't it just happening right like these high level dudes all agree let's do it great we've been talking about it for two years (laughs) 10 years you know so who's either not incentivized to do it or uh, you know where's there a sort of you know disconnect in the chain and maybe it's not in the, the CRO's best interest to do that you know it's not it's the former who's disincentivized to do this right it's the CROs I mean think about it their their, their business uh, operations are run like a factory I mean this is what we do this is our expected profit margin this is how many days on site CRA's gotta do right uh, this is so when the sponsor tells them hey we want patient centricity we want like a, you know a hybrid model we want to make it easier for the sites CROs don't care about this but they have to pretend like they do so they they eventually adopt these things out of necessity because the sponsors get fed up and say look you get it you know these other guys said they're going to do this so you got to do this and in the Pretty article right. i read yesterday with the icon buying pra Basically, Icon bought PRA because of their tech capabilities, which Icon's apparently was behind on. And so I think the fact that these CROs have become so dominant, I mean, they're bigger than most of the sponsors, their market caps. Um, I think that's stifling innovation. That's preventing the the ever-elusive patient centricity, um, you know, e-source, Getting the data into the EDC directly from ESOR. There's, I, I, this is my opinion. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, a lot of that stuff would do away with some of the offerings from the CROs. I would guess, you know, if if you can, if there's an adopted ESORs that with an API that goes straight into Rave. I mean, that doesn't that take away a lot of the, the, you know, on the ground work. That's coming in five years, Brad. I know who yeah. who's gonna do it. It's a household yeah. name already, but I'll tell you off camera because uh, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> I'll do a stock video on it. How about that? Uh, <laughs> there you go. Christine says, what's in it for me? Exactly right. Exactly what the sponsors care about. And the CROs care about this too. What's in it for me? Well, patient centricity, we understand. Uh, but what's in it for me? Like, Are CROs really wanting trials to be more efficient? I don't think so. They get paid more if the trial's delayed and goes on longer. Well, dude, look at everything they do. I swear, just be, Icon has been to my site probably. How many site selection visits does one CRO need to do before they know your site? 
right? Like maybe <laughs> there maybe there are study specific mm. questions to be had, but like, dude, this is the same freezer the last three guys looked at. You know? Like <laughs> that's not efficient at all. That's mm. good point. Crazy. But I'm guessing that they're getting paid to be out there. So of course you know, they are. They're gonna, I've they're been <laughs> with my tiny minuscule CRO that does investigator initiated trials right now two only two we've we've actually done we've submitted bids for bigger studies and this is what we were uh basically competing on is how many days on site these guys said they can do it in x amount of time how much do you charge for monitoring visits that's the bulk of where the cro's make their money right uh we got questions we got time for questions by the way put your questions in the comments right now uh linkedin has been good so far to me this is from neha i actually have gotten a lot of information contacts and found you on linkedin very good make sure you go find brad right now for someone like me who's trying to get my foot in the door this is a really good place to look for resources absolutely true neha and um actually brad what is your thoughts on speaking of linkedin before we go on to more questions um networking on linkedin what's the right way to do it what are your pet peeves on this? Yeah, so, I mean, it goes back to, and it took me a while to learn this myself, but it goes back to what you said before. Like, it should be more, think about adding value rather than just asking people. Don't message somebody and say, like, I need a job. Well, <laughs> no shit. A lot of people need a job. You know, like, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want from me? I'm not, a, I'm not somebody who gets people jobs. And mm-hmm. not that, you know, again, if you, I think if you want to connect with somebody, at least first of all, just be human being, you know, like <laughs> talk mm. like a human being, don't send a, a spam, <laughs> like template, e- template message, you know, especially if you forget to change the name, uh, mm. you know, from the last person that you, you copied from. I would but say I'd that's say, a like, pet peeve too. Right. But I'd say go out and find these co- conversations and s- start a conversation. Don't just come in asking for something, but if you can get yourself in the conversation create a relationship provide value and oftentimes people they want to provide value back once you provide value to them and that's you know it doesn't have to be completely transactional you know it's more uh building the relationship so i mean again i would just treat it like you would a human being like yeah i wouldn't walk up to somebody and be like do you have any jobs sir like you know, I would get to know this person or, you know. That's literally every hour on LinkedIn. Here's my CV. Right. Hey, Dan, I've never talked to you before. This is my friend connection request. Here's my CV if you know anyone hiring. It's like, why would I even open your CV? I'm not, you know, I'm not hiring right now. Like, you know, you need to go interact and go drop comments in LinkedIn. If you do what like Neha's doing, she's doing it the right yeah, way. Just go exactly. watch people's live streams, comment on their posts and keep doing it. And people start to know you. Now, if Neha emailed me, I'm going to remember. She's the one who's been active on the live stream. I'm more incentivized to help. Not, not just, you know, some stranger I never met. Yeah, that's uh, true. This is a question for you, Brad and Murunga. Brad, when you talked about selling your strength, you said certified coordinators can be used as a selling point for sites with research naive PIs. Do you mean certified by ACRP? Yeah, ACRP or SOCRA. I know that, uh, I don't remember what SOCRA is, CCRP, maybe something like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think yeah. if you can show that 
you know, even though maybe your investigator lacks some experience, they've got a team around them that's going to support them, train them through the process and, uh, you know, really help keep their arms around things, you know, and I think that just gets strengthened by, you know, being certified, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I actually recently let my CCRC lapse, uh, Oh, yours? So I'm not technically. I'm not technically currently a CCRC right now. Oh so man, you're not in the anybody. cool kids club. <laughs> <laughs> I've never yeah. been certified for anything, um, dude. I had a real. I really didn't know if I wanted to. I went ahead and did it just because it was kind of the thing to do at the place mm-hmm. I worked. And mm-hmm. it. I think it's like anything else. If you really want to go work it, it can probably be useful. Like if you go into ACRP's website, really use their content. Uh, it's probably valuable. I don't think for me it was other than to say, hey, look at me, I CCRC after my name. I think it gives the sponsor uh, more faith in your site, especially if your, re- your PI is research naive. Because uh, even if you had like 15 years of experience as a coordinator, and you're, but you don't have like certification of CCRP or anything, I mean, just seeing that next to your name is like, a stamp of approval by some organization that's arbitrarily been deemed worthy of of blessing us with the, with these right. letters. Right. Um, no, that's true. So that's what it really is. I mean, it just makes it easier for the sponsor to say, okay, rather than looking through the CV. Uh, sure. In my opinion. At least say, hey, this guy took a test and passed it. So That's right. <laughs> he, knows, he knows some things. <laughs> he knows a thing or two. Enough to pass. Uh, you know, sometimes when you tell them what you can bring to the table, sometimes your inexperience just outshines my skills and motivation. Yeah, Christine's clapping. Who can make it happen for decentralized trials? Um, yeah, decentralized trial is something interesting because uh, I think, obviously, the industry's headed in that direction. But if we're not even able to integrate, or like even more practical, what Brad said, if we're not even able to skip site selection visits from the same CRO uh, for sites, like how are we going to possibly be siteless and just have patients joining from sponsors? You know, um, sponsors don't have a good reputation, nor is it their core competency to communicate with patients. They're great on the sales side, like they hire sales reps and they put ads on the Super Bowl or daytime TV for drugs, but how, like clinical research has a branding issue. So you're always going to need the sites. Even the good sites, they have a lot of hurdles to, to jump just to get one patient convinced that clinical research is safe. I mean, even if that's your own patient, like from your own doctor, right? Um, Yeah. Well, that, that, that alone, right. Is a huge, like question mark in my mind. Like, I can't tell you, I mean, most people can, can tell you, you know, if, how much easier it is to get the physician's patient in versus, you know, a Facebook lead or something like that, where they don't know who they're calling. They don't know who you are. They don't know if you're legit or what's going on. You know what I mean? So, and if that's the norm, I just think it's going to, you're going to have crazy, it's going to be difficult to overcome that sort of uh, lack of familiarity in the process. Cause it's, I've been telling people this clinical research is customer service. Mm. It's basically customer service, right? Like we have to listen and engage with a patient in order to understand and relate to them. We have to build a relationship where they trust us and 
where they're going to keep coming back to your site to go back to the retention issue. And, you know, that can't be only clinical. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we're too clinical in clinical research uh, and we're not ah, exactly really right. sort of, we're Great not really point. sort of connecting, you know, with, with these people. And I think the way that's most easily done again is through your physician and, and through inpatient, sometimes in-person visits. Great point. I, you reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday with someone from my Patreon. They own a site. Um, I won't name them because uh, I don't know if they want that. But they basically do pediatric studies and adult studies. But they had this one particular pediatric study they did very well on. The sponsor was very impressed. And what it boiled down to was the core of the issue, there were two things. The kids didn't like to go to doctors. So the parents kind of gave up on dragging the kids out of the house all the time as soon as the kids got better all right so they joined the study within the first couple of visits because the drug works the kids got better but the kids didn't like because they don't like going to doctor so then they stopped showing up this is what was happening at other sites at this site they had almost 100 percent retention rate because they treat patient centricity not as a buzzword right but as something tangible that you can actually do day in and day out, like eating your veggies. Right. What they did was they made the kids feel like it's a fun place to be. They had movies, games. They had a dedicated person that would just hang out with the kid the entire time. They didn't feel like they're in a doctor office. The parents told that site, this kid hates the doctors, but they want to come. They can't wait to come to the next (laughs) visit. They would give them stuff, like all kinds of things. So this is patient centricity to me. Right. 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 And that's genius, honestly. I mean, that's that's something, I mean, small in some ways, but it makes a freaking world of difference. That's crazy. I, and it's I love nothing that. to do with clinical. Matter of fact, right. it's the opposite because the kids hate going to their doctors. So, the and I know we're all in clinical research. It's clinical. But you got to, and then to, tra- to, to translate this to the adult studies, you got to create like almost like a spa-like experience for the patients. Craig Lipset wrote an article when Donald Trump got a, the VIP treatment in his – he was in a study. So Craig Lipset wrote an article. I thought it was good. He said we need to all, – all sites need to give patients like this VIP experience. And it's absolutely true. So like just getting them breakfast when they come in, giving them a cookie or something. I sure. mean it just goes a long way. Bottled water. You know, it's amazing how many sites, as a CRA I go to, because I monitor also, and I see sites and this, I can't tell if it's a research clinic or if it's a doctor office and the research patient's waiting just like everybody else. So right. that's, they don't feel special being in the study. Right. I mean, so there's a lot of practical things that sites can do. You don't, and that talk about bottom up. I mean, there you go right there. You don't need approval from Harvard or anybody you know, to do this bottom up approach, like go look at spas, go look at what spas are doing. I think in many States they're open again. All right, go look, go, go see how they treat you when you go to a spa, even a bad one. Right. No, you're right. I mean, they want to, they have to want to be there. They have to want to come in and whether that's through again, even some, some, sometimes it's small, offer them coffee, have some snacks laying around. And then, and then just again, listening, building a relationship. I mean, again, I've got, you know, an employee that didn't have a big clinical background. He doesn't, but 
he will retain patients because he loves talking to them and they love talking to him and he because he listens to them he's not just there to say okay any ACEs, any illnesses injuries sickness no you've been taking your medication yes okay uh, <laughs> great no medication changes okay cool well see you in six weeks you know it's taking the time to to invest a little bit of you know yourself in in these patients so it's mm-hmm. a again i think it's very much analogous to customer service and we should the more we think about it that way, the more successful you'll be in your enrollment and your retention. Absolutely right. Patient centricity is about more about the things you can control as a site as opposed to blaming a sponsor or CRO for not making it happen. We had in our clubhouse, shout out to Christine, who's a clubhouse queen, by the way. We had in our clubhouse, everybody hit her up on LinkedIn if you want the invite. We had on our clubhouse, Brad, a patient show up, a patient so like what they call like the empowered patients, a very savvy patient sure. came in, talked about their clinical trial experience, talked about how um, they didn't feel they were appreciated. Um, she said even something like if I would have gotten a certificate thanking me for my participation because they finished the whole trial or like maybe like if we can be put on a call with the sponsor letting us know what the study results were um, – you know, just the little things. Yeah. Like, it's not complicated. So, I mean, here's my... Someone's probably already thought of this, but this is my million-dollar idea. Like, why isn't there some gamification in clinical trials, right? Like, give them all an app, and everyone's maybe de-identified or whatever. They can... I don't know. Maybe you're competing with other research participants to, like, have the highest, uh, you know, usage of medication, 100%. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or... Whatever. Why, I feel like there's definitely some room to make it an experience that's, I mean, fun, you know, if not yeah. at least engaging, not just, right. you know, the people who set their medication on their counter and then forget about it. Or we give them these like 10 year old Samsung phones to take home as e-diaries and they won't connect <laughs> to any, anything, no matter what, what you try. The Obama uh, phone. There's got to be, <laughs> right, right. So I feel like there's something missing somewhere and again even like you said something as simple as a certificate or yeah something that's engaging them again you know that, like that stuck out to me because i was like you know i never really think i mean we've had in my 15 years now of doing this i maybe had three sponsors that gave us like certificates or like gifts like at visit six give them this yeah, thermos like a water jug yeah, yeah yeah and like i think those are good like those things go and they need to do that again I, that has been um less frequent uh than in the past not more we need more of that which site visit most prominent or most important uh i would say imv for a cra that's the meat of the dish um but if you're a site probably the site selection visit we need a lecture for cra in arabic mafish mushkala that's all i know uh (laughs) we need to know about software there's a lot uh, so let's go through I, some of these questions. I, say, oh, I want to I want to do a podcast series or video series with software about software. So that's something I'd like because you know there's there's not a ton out there, but there's enough uh, to where I don't want to demo five different CTMS systems. Like, hmm. anyways, I think that's just a little <laughs> tick there's, there. There's, like, a, there's like a niche see, there. I think just doing reviews, software reviews. You know, like. That, that oh would man, be pretty you easy. get sponsored in a heartbeat. 
Uh, yeah, until you until you give them a bad review. <laughs> I have a bio degree, but I'm having trouble landing my first CRC job. What are some other entry-level positions to explore? I mean, you can do research assistant. I think you need to uh, reach out and research the clinics before you go interview. Um, because as you are saying, you're having trouble landing your first job. Maybe it goes back to how we opened this video. You need to put yourself in the employer's shoes is my suggestion. Um, Christine, join a research organization like Latinos in Clinical Research, Heidi. Exactly. Christine nice. gets it. Christine gets it. And I see and someone asking she says, how to we'll use do. LinkedIn. That's how right there. Chris, the way That's Christine how... using it. <laughs> we don't even need to do it. But just look at what Christine's doing. This is how she could write a book, textbook 101. And Christine says she has a podcast idea. So would love to Perfect. hear from you, Christine. I just had a big CRO SQV site qualification visit skipped for two sites I'm working with. First time I've seen this in 10 years. I hope this is getting more common in regards. There you go, Brad. Well, all right. You made a liar out of me. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. My <laughs> research mentor pushed VIP treatment. Yep. VIP treat it's all we have, guys. Uh, it is my experience at teaching hospitals and universities that time is money and we get pressed to deliver and deliver on point and with DOD uh, Department of Defense. Maybe. Oh Lord. It's patient centricity is tough at these AMCs. I mean, this is what we were talking about, speedboat versus um uh the Titanic, you know. Brad and I, we have smaller sites. I mean, we can do whatever we want, but we're talking about the bottom-up approach. For these kind of places, you probably need to really read that article from Harvard and consider the bottom-up approach because you're going to need approvals and somebody uh, somebody smart on your team is going to say, okay, Harvard wrote about this, so this must be good. <laughs> <laughs> Shout-out to Christine for getting me invite to Clubhouse. You see, guys? This is how you they're doing work. Christine, at this point, could message anybody on LinkedIn and they, she won't get ignored. <laughs> uh, I agree. Small things we can do to make it better experience. Patient retention is even more important than patient recruitment. Uh, I would say more important. Maybe free lunch, snacks if they have to wait so long. Exactly. Exactly. Even sending a Uber, you know, like, I mean, it's amazing how some sites don't even validate parking for their patients. And again, it's mostly these AMCs, academic medical centers and institutions and I don't know. I mean, smaller sites, they tend to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, we have, the, it's like you said, though. I mean, we've got the freedom to be a little more experimental, you know, and I, I had to try a couple things before I found, you know, like the right ride share group to work with locally, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, yeah, but just like she's saying here, it doesn't need to be, you have some granola bars and like some bags of chips in your office. I mean, yeah. patients love, patients will love that if they have to, especially if they have to sit there you know, being observed for any reason. I mean, it's, you know, it's not steak and it's lobster, just the but little it's enough. Things. It's right. the little things, guys. It's like when you, back in the day before COVID, when we would take Ubers, where I think we're getting back to that now. I have yet to be in an Uber since COVID, though. Uh, but, like, you know, the drivers that get five stars, guess what? They usually always have a clean car, bottled water, charger, maybe some snacks, some mints. The ones that get like four star, like on the lower four, they don't have any of that stuff. It's not a lot to go to Costco and buy like those little quarter waters and just have them in your trunk, right? It's not difficult. 
patient centricity is no different. That's right. No different. Silent Mike was interesting, Christine, on Clubhouse. I this is like so foreign to me. It's you go on in this room, Brad, on Clubhouse, which is a voice app, and everyone's just silent. It's like a moment of silence, but the whole thing. And I was like weirded out. So I started unmuting myself because I thought no one's talking. I don't read instructions. And I saw, oh, you <laughs> get to be you basically just click everyone's bio and follow them. And that's a good way to network, actually. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. It was foreign, foreign to me. So, yeah, every Friday night, uh, for those of you on iPhone, hopefully soon on Android. So, Brad, Brad, this is for you. Clubhouse is was made for you, man. Yeah, well, I need I need Android support, man. I know, I know. We need to request. <laughs> we need to request this. So, anything else, Brad, that we didn't cover that you want to cover? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, again, I just think I think it's uh, very cool keeping up with your, uh, you know, what you're doing on the stock side with the biotechs now. I like that. I like that diversification there, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, I found it's a good way. You know what's interesting? It made me. It's making me a better researcher because uh, I'm. You know, like we were talking off camera. We're so caught up in the operations. Like, I don't know about you, and I miss this. When I was coordinating the studies, I would get caught up in the science. Like, I would look at the protocol. I would look up the drug on Google, learn a little bit about it on Wikipedia. I don't do that anymore. Like, I just, it's like just, you know, we're dishing out studies like, uh, like, like Luka Doncic, you know, just like there's one, <laughs> right. there's another. We don't even care. And I miss that because, uh, I think we need to come back to reality of what what this is about. So now researching these biotechs, I'm actually learning, you know, more of like what's new, what's cutting edge, what's CRISPR, what's gene editing, what's DNA sequencing. I'm learning these things, and it's not it's not just make me a better investor. I think that's like a second, very far far away thing. That that takes time, but it's making me a better researcher. And I can have more intelligent conversations now with doctors and with staff. So I think that's been a benefit. Besides growing my YouTube channel, of course. That's why that's why I initially did it. But I've learned, you know, that this is why it's helping me become actually a better researcher too. Sure. No, man, I say thanks for having me on. You've, uh, again, always been an inspiration to me. So I, I value any time uh, we get to sit and talk. So thanks so Thank much, Thank you, man. Brad. Thank you for coming on on short notice. I just, I saw your picture on Insta on LinkedIn yesterday and um the algorithm liked it it showed it to me and uh, keep doing your thing because everybody needs to go follow note to file podcast and go follow Brad Hightower on LinkedIn um and uh thank you very much Brad I appreciate it thanks again man thank you guys for watching listening and catch y'all later like share follow subscribe comment hit the bell button all that good stuff. Bye-bye.